My text verse today is actually pretty lengthy, um, but I'm still going to ask you to stand with me as we do here at New Hope in honor of reading God's word. Um, it's out of Exodus 3. This is when God came to Moses, and uh, it's about 14 verses long, but stick with me here. It's a powerful, wonderful passage, one of the best passages in all the Old Testament. Exodus 3, 1 to 14. It says, now, God, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. That's all he needed to know, really. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Uh, the title of my message today is A Fresh Reminder. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we love you and we bless your holy name today. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is what transforms us. And God, we give ourselves to you today. We are committed to you. Lord, would you open our hearts and let this word fall on good soil that it will produce fruit in each one of our lives for our good and for your glory, first and foremost. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank the Lord. Well, as Jessica said, in just under a week, we're going to celebrate the new year. And as humans, we love the idea of a new start, right? That's, the, that's what's centered around New Year's. The, the idea is that it's just a fresh start. We all get a clean slate, and uh, it's something brand new, and we can get excited about that. In fact, it can bring hope into our lives, right? And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's something about turning the calendar to a new year that, uh, that can really motivate us and give us hope for the new year. In fact, a lot of people will do New Year's resolutions. Anyone here doing a New Year's resolution this year? Nobody wants to admit it, all right. Because most of the time by January 10th, we're, we forgot it already, right? And the new year becomes old hat, right? I know for me, I, I, I kind of stay away from them because I have known myself long enough and well enough now to know that I will probably do that, you know? The, uh, in fact, the, the fitness clubs, people that regularly go to fitness clubs, they always say the first two weeks you really have to have a lot of patience because you got to wait for an elliptical or a treadmill or whatever, but just hang on. <laughs> just hang on. It'll get back to normal real soon, right? 
And so, uh, and I've kind of stayed away from those resolutions myself, except one time when I was 18 and the new year turned and I had committed to God that I was going to read through my Bible. I'd never read through my Bible. I just read memory verses that I had to learn as a kid, but I committed that I was gonna read through my Bible and I got through it. In fact, I thought it was gonna take me all year. It didn't take me anywhere near that long because once I really started reading my Bible, I devoured it and loved it. But that was the one New Year's resolution I committed to and stuck to. And, uh, you know, we, we, we like to have this idea of this New Year and this fresh hope, but, and that's fine, but we as followers of Jesus especially cannot put all of our hope in the turn of a calendar. Our hope is meant to be in our God. It's meant to be in Jesus. And you know, God doesn't need the turn of a calendar to give us hope. He doesn't need the turn of a calendar to, to get us a fresh start. In fact, the Bible says in Lamentations that his mercies are new every day. Not just once a year, every single day, his mercies are brand new in our life. Great is his faithfulness. Man, that's, that's praiseworthy right there. That we can praise God because his mercies are new. I don't have to wait till January 1 to be forgiven of my sins. I can be forgiven the moment that I commit him if I will commit my heart to him, amen? But there's something about wanting this fresh slate, especially if the year you're coming out of has been tough, which I think all of us would agree that 21 and in 20 have both been difficult years in many ways in our lives. Some for, for more for some than others, but we've all experienced difficulty. And so there's this wanting to get into a new year to be excited about something. But I, I wanna challenge you today, because, and I read this text because this, I feel like the Lord led me to this because what we see is we see the character of God in this text. And see, if we're gonna have the hope that God gives us in our life, we have to know him. We have to be in relationship with him. We have to understand who he is to really have hope because if we wanna hope, have hope in God based on what we want, it doesn't always work out, right? We have to be submitted and committed to him. And so if we see that the aspects of God's character are often under scrutiny especially outside the church, but even inside the church. Because sometimes we don't really understand God or, or understand his character. You know, you even hear it in the church. If, if God's so good, why is there so much suffering in the world? Right? If God loves me so much, why does he feel distant from me sometimes? You probably found yourself asking that very question, as I'm sure we all have in our life. But as we grow in our relationship with him, we, we grow to understand that I can love him, I can serve him, I can trust him, and I can have hope in him even when I don't really understand what's going on because that's who he is. And so this passage in, in Exodus shows the, the trials of the Israelites. They had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 plus years. 400 years. You think they felt like God was distant from them maybe? I mean, people lived, were born, lived, and died their whole life, Israelites did, in Egypt, in slavery, and never saw the freedom that God eventually brought through Moses. And so they were obviously probably struggling with some of understanding the character of God too. But you know, God reveals a lot about his character in this passage. And that's why we're gonna go through this today. In fact, I wanna give you some fresh reminders today about the character of God through this passage. And the first one is that God's presence is not just for the extraordinary. God's presence in our lives is not just for the special people. You know, it's not just for super Christians, as many would say Moses is, which is funny because um, Moses had lots of issues. You know, we think Moses was this superhuman, so that's why God used him. But if you think that, you only know the highlights of the story. Moses was actually an outcast. He was rejected by his people, the Israelites, but he was also rejected by his adopted people, the Egyptians. 
He'd killed an Egyptian and Pharaoh, the Bible says Pharaoh was trying to kill Moses. That's why Moses had to flee into Midian because he was being, he'd been rejected by the Pharaoh. And he had all kinds of issues in his life. He had he even had, in, in speech, you know, God says, you're gonna go to Pharaoh and talk to them. And he's like, I can't talk that well. God had to allow Moses to use his own brother Aaron to help be his mouthpiece for him. Moses had all kinds of things going on in his life that where God could have rejected him. Now, now, I'm not saying today that we're all gonna do the great exploits of Moses, okay? Let me be very clear. In this passage in Exodus 3, Moses, the whole story of Moses, he is a type and shadow of Jesus. Because Moses actually, God's using Moses to actually deliver people out of slavery, just like Jesus came to deliver us out of spiritual slavery. So Moses is the type and shadow of Jesus. In this story, we're actually the Israelites. We're the ones in bondage, needing a savior, needing a rescuer to bring us out of that bondage. But there's still principles about this passage that we can take from to understand the character of God and knowing that he doesn't just show himself to the superhuman Christians. He died so that we could all experience his presence. You know, in the Old Testament, it was, there was only a select few that actually got to experience the presence of God in their life. But Jesus coming to this earth, living, dying, resurrecting, and going back to heaven, and then, very importantly, sending his spirit back to dwell in us was so that we could all experience his presence in our life. So we don't have to hope that there's a, a godly prophet out there or a, or a priest or a, a pastor that can tell us what God's saying. We can hear him for ourselves because we all have the ability to have that relationship with him because he puts his spirit in us as we live for him and as we serve him. We're not all going to have a burning bush experience like Moses did, but we can all know him in a deeper way in our life. Hallelujah. Moses had to, what we see in this story was that the bush starts burning and Moses is away from it. And the Bible says that he saw it and that he turned towards it and started going towards it. That's when God spoke to him from the bush. A lot of people don't think about that. You don't, when you think about the story of Moses, you think that the burning bush was there and God's yelling at Moses, Moses, come here. No, he saw the bush and he started walking to it. Then God spoke to him. So what does that tell us about ourselves? If we wanna experience the presence of God in our life, we have to move towards him. We have to continually be moving towards him. We have to continually be seeking him if we want to experience him in our life. And I'm not just talking about salvation. Salvation is the initial moving towards him. But even once we're saved, we gotta continually move towards him, continually go after him, continually chase after God. Oh, does God running away from me that I have to chase him? Of course not. But he also, you could see it very clearly in the word of God that it is important, that there, it, is, it is vital in our life that we are seeking him we are pursuing him. In fact, Hebrews tells us that he is a rewarder of what? Those who earnestly seek him. That's who he rewards. And I don't know about you, but I'd love to have the rewards that God gives out. Those are the good ones. David said in Psalm 63, he says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's the heart that God wants us to have, that we would earnestly seek him. It wasn't like David didn't have a relationship with God, he did. But even in that, it was never enough. And it should never be enough for us. We should never get to that place where we feel like, yeah, I've experienced God enough, I'm good. I'm just gonna kind of cruise the rest of my life. Always moving towards him, always pursuing him. And Jesus promises us, he says, if you earnestly seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart in our life. That's what he wants. I mentioned earlier that the only resolution I ever 
fulfilled in my life was to read through my Bible. Let me tell you, that was me moving towards God. Now, he was drawing me. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's the one that draws us, right? But he, it does, he's not drawing us by coming in and picking us up and pulling us. He's drawing us by saying, come. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. He's not busting down the door. He's knocking. We got to open the door so that he can come in. And I read my Bible through that year, and it changed my life. Changed my life because I moved towards God. I was sensing the presence of God in my life, more laying on my bed, reading my Bible than I have ever experienced in a conference or a revival meeting or a church service. It's been just me and him because I moved towards him in my life. And he honored that. And it changed my life forever. And once you experience him in that way, he ruins you for the ordinary. He ruins us. We as Christians should be ruined for the ordinary in our life. Now, does that mean that every day of our life as a Christian should be where we're just, we're just excited and we're having emotional highs every day of our life? Of course not. You know, there's still the, we're still living on this earth. There's still the mundane at times. But I'm talking about the presence of God experiencing him in our life. We would never be content to just kind of drudge along, hoping for the best, but not really doing anything to experience his presence in our life. Moses would never be the same again once he experienced the presence of God. Never. His life went, it was never gonna be ordinary again. His, his purpose changed, his heart changed, his, his vocation changed, his geography changed. It changed everything. Everything in his life because he experienced the presence of God. And that's exactly what he wants for us. And you might say, well, my life's not any different. I'm a Christian. Well, I'd like to challenge you today that the level of, your, of the ordinary in your life is directly proportional to how much you earnestly seek him. It really is. And we're not, and church, if you're new here, we're not about works at this church. I don't believe in earning salvation of, first and foremost, but I don't believe in earning anything from God. We don't deserve anything from God. But there's something about us earnestly going after him that he responds to that because he wants, he's looking for hearts that are for him. He's looking for people that are dedicated to him and committed to him. So that's, that, those are the people. Obviously, if Hebrews is telling us he rewards those who earnestly seek him, that means those that don't earnestly seek him aren't getting as many rewards. So we have to understand that. We have to desperately seek his presence because if we do, he will ne we will never be the same. Another fresh reminder we get from this passage is that God wants to reveal himself to you, but he also wants to reveal yourself to you. He wants to reveal our own hearts to ourselves in our life. You know, his presence in our life, church, isn't just about fixing our problems or giving us this great knowledge of God or getting, making us puffed up or thinking we have this genie in a bottle. That's not what his presence is about. His presence is about us knowing him in a greater way. And when we know him in a greater way, what happens, the natural, the natural response in our heart when we experience God in our life is that our heart is revealed to us in a greater way. And see, you don't know what you don't know. But once you experience the presence of God, you start to see your own heart for what it is. In Exodus 3, in my text verse, in verse 11, God told Moses, hey, you're gonna go and you're gonna, take, you're gonna set my people free from Egypt. Moses' immediate response in verse 11, he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He says, who am I? Now, Moses was at a place of incredible insecurity at this point. He took it to an extreme. But you know what? That should always be our heart. When God says anything to us, commissions us, 
puts on our heart to do anything, the attitude of our heart should always be, who am I without you? Because this was before God said, I'll be with you. So who am I? How am I worthy to do anything for God? How am I worthy to be in your presence? How am I worthy to be called your child? Moses was seeing his heart. You see, he was 80 years old when this happened. And if the burning bush had happened in his first 40 years, because he lived his first 40 years in Egypt, in the palace as a prince. If that burning bush situation would happen in his first 40 years, I could have seen Moses saying, yeah, that makes sense. I could do that for you, God. I'll do it. I'll get a few guys, a few of my buddies to do it with me. We'll, we'll take Pharaoh out and we'll, we'll get these Israelites out of here. Just, just uh, bless me and I'll go, right? Because he was pretty full of himself. Well, this happened to him when he was 80. And so he was, re- he, was, he was to the place where he knew that he needed God. He spent his first 40 years thinking he was something. He spent his second 40 years finding out that he was nothing, which is what we all are. It didn't matter his location, his, his home where he lived or his title or his clothing or his jewelry he was wearing. We're nothing apart from our God. We don't deserve anything from him. So he had to get to that place where he knew he was nothing before God could really use him. Who knows, maybe God preferred to deliver the Israelites 40 years sooner, but he had to wait for Moses. God will wait as long as it takes. Let's go wait till the hearts of men are ready to receive and respond to what he's calling us to do. And do you wanna know how you can know if God has revealed yourself to you in your own life? Because like I said, you don't know what you don't know. The closer you are to God, the more he will show you your heart. When I hear people say, well, you know what, I, th- yeah, I think I should be allowed to go to heaven, I'm a pretty good person, then that shows me immediately you're not really close to God. And I'm not saying we're all horrible people, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. What I'm saying, though, is in the light of who he is, none of us are good. No one is good. No one's even close to good. No one's even in the same stratosphere with God when it comes to that. And it tells me when we think we're good, it means we don't really know God at the level he wants us to know him. Because when we know him and he even speaks to our heart, It'll cause you to say, who am I? Who am I? It's a natural byproduct of being in his presence. And one litmus test for knowing if, if our heart has been revealed to God, to ourselves, is if we respond by saying, who am I? In fact, when we think, I think about David and King David and how he, he was commissioned to be the king of Israel and it took years for him to actually get to that place. And when he finally got on the throne, finally got there and God spoke to him and said, you're going to be the, the, your family line is going to be on the throne as long as there's a king here. And he had helped David to actually bring the ark. The ark had been captured. They brought the ark of the covenant back into Jerusalem and had this huge victory. And God said, you're gonna be, your family's gonna be the king forever. And look at David's response to him in 1 Chronicles 17, 16. It says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? You see, David knew that he didn't deserve anything from God either. It doesn't matter how, how good he was. It doesn't matter that he could have killed Saul twice and didn't do it. He still knew he didn't deserve it because he knew God. And when we know God, we see our heart. We see that our heart, see, David knew his heart, Moses knew his heart, and we know our heart to the level that when Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else and beyond cure, I get that. Before I knew Jesus, I would have thought, nah, my heart's good. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I grow in my relationship with him, the more I realize, Wow, do I need a savior. (laughs) 
man, do I need a God in my life that can help me and give me mercy every single day and let it be new every morning and every minute of every day because that's what I need because I see my heart more and more as I see the glory of God. And all I can do is stand in all of them. All I can do is stand in all of them and say, God, I don't know why you love me. I don't know why you're so good. I don't know why you didn't just destroy the whole human race. I don't know why you did what you did for me, Jesus, but thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving me so much more than I really deserve and for giving me mercy and grace that I don't deserve in my life. That's a, that's a litmus for knowing if you have a good relation or a close relationship with your Lord because the closer you get, the more you'll see it. Isaiah, when he stood before God, he had the vision of being in the throne room of heaven. It says the angels were sitting around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It said the Lord's robe was, the train of his robe, just the tail of his robe was so big it filled the temple. This incredible, magnificent, glorious picture that we see. And what does Isaiah do? His response, woe is me. Not, wow, this is really cool. I must be awesome if God let me in his presence here. It was woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's how you know. Because God was revealing his own heart to himself. And let's not forget Peter, who was fishing and couldn't catch any fish. And Jesus came out and first time Peter met Jesus. And Jesus said, Throw your nets out. And Peter said, well, we've been fishing all night, but since you said to do it, I'll do it. Pulled in so many fish, the boat was sinking. Peter was in the presence of God for the first time. And when he was in the presence of God for the first time, you know what he said? He said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Peter wasn't a terrible person, but he said, go away from me, I'm a sinner. And let's not forget the great apostle Paul, who literally said, the greatest apostle of all time, this is what he said in 1 Timothy 1. In verse 15, he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, why did he say that? You think he was just trying to be really humble? You know, he's that guy that knows he's better than everybody else but tries to talk down so that other people will talk him up? No, that's not why he was doing that. It's because he had a greater revelation of God than maybe anybody else that's ever walked on the earth since Jesus. And when you know God, when you know God on that level, you know that you are a sinner and that you need a God and that you need someone to show you mercy every day because his heart was revealed to himself. And you'll see that the people with the greatest revelation of self have the greatest love for God because they know they don't deserve anything. That's really what it is. In fact, he goes on to say then in the next two verses in 1 Timothy, he says, it was for that very reason that I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience, praise God, as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal Now, so this is why he does it. This is why God does what he does for us. Now, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. That's why he does it for us. That's why he gives us what we don't deserve because he wants to be glorified. He glorifies himself through our life, through what he does in our life and through our life. And that's who he is. And the more we know God, the more we wanna see him glorified and the less we want glory for ourselves. When I start wanting credit for myself, whether it's in business or whether it's with my family or whether it's in church work, if I start seeing that I want the credit and I want people to be really grateful for what I'm doing and, and how well I'm doing and what I'm doing, whatever it is. When I see that I want the credit, I'm realizing very quickly that I need to refocus. 
I need to turn towards God and start walking towards that burning bush. Because once I do, I start to realize, oh, that's right. I don't deserve any of the credit. I'm nothing. <laughs> that's right. I forgot all those terrible things I've thought and done in the last six months. Really, in the last day, probably. Right? I've seen it in my personal life. The closer I get to him, the more I see my own heart, the more in awe of him I stand. And that's why I can say 2021, I cannot believe how blessed I am. I mean, I'm excited about the church. I think the church is doing great considering all the circumstances we're under. We're really excited about where we're going and what's happening in the church, and that's all wonderful. But that's not why I'm saying 21 was a wonderful year. I'm saying it's a wonderful year because I see my need for Jesus more than I ever have in my life. And everything that's happening, I'm loving even how it's becoming natural for me when I'm worried or stressed or anxious that it's almost becoming second nature for me to just turn to him and walk towards him. Because that's the win. That's the win, church. Not necessarily getting my way. The win is just drawing closer to him. Because the closer we get to him, the less the things of this world really matter. It doesn't mean they don't matter. It doesn't mean we laugh when we have a loved one that dies from COVID. It doesn't mean we don't care about things, but it does mean it can't steal my peace. Because the peace that surpasses understanding that guards my heart comes from being committed to him. That's where it comes from. And so I will be thankful no matter what happens if it's drawing me closer to Jesus. But if we, you, have to be, you have to be aware that if he's drawing you closer to him, he's also gonna show you your heart. You're gonna see things that you've never saw before. That's why Paul could say, I am the worst of all sinners. In fact, he calls himself, at one point, he calls himself the chief of sinners. The chief of sinners. Here's the thing, though, church. It's not a race to the bottom. It's not a, the, the false humility thing doesn't work either to say, oh, yeah, I'm horrible, I'm horrible, all, while, all the while on the inside you feel like you're actually pretty awesome. <laughs> it's not a race to see who can talk bad about themselves. That's not at all what it's about. Because it, it, it doesn't have to be a race to the bottom because we're already at the bottom. You know, I shared last week at our Christmas service, which feels like it's already been a month ago. Was it last week? Yeah, it was. Wow, okay. But that, you know, we, we wanna climb the ladder to get to God, but really, you're gonna find God, you're gonna find him at the bottom because that's where you are. And he, he, he serves us. He served, he showed us how to live our lives when he served his disciples and washed their feet. So it's not about, it's not, it's not a race to the bottom because we're already there. But we have to watch our, our verbiage and our, our hearts in that. Don't, don't bring false humility into it because God can see right through that and so can a lot of people for that matter. So third and finally, a fresh reminder that God is always with you. Everyone say always. He is always, always with us. And I know you're probably thinking, man, that sounds pretty elementary. I'm pretty sure I learned that in Sunday school when I was five years old, right? But it doesn't change the fact that we need to be reminded of it. Because here, here's the thing, I can, I can prove that we struggle with remembering this. Because if we're struggling with fear, if we're struggling with anxiety, if we're struggling with worry, if we're struggling with anger, with doubt, with confusion in our faith, if we're struggling with any of those things, it's because we're not remembering that God is with us. Because if he's with you, what is there to fear? What's there to be anxious about? You worried about money? You worried about family? You worried about relationships? You worried about your health? If, God, if the God of the universe is with you and actually in you, what do we have to fear? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So we have to remind ourselves and remember that God is always with us. It doesn't always feel that way, right? Sometimes he feels 
distant. He felt distant to the Israelites for those 400 years. He wasn't, though. He was with them. He was there. He saw everything. He even said in that text, he said, I'm concerned about my people. But we also have to trust that he's sovereign, that he's above us, that his ways are higher than us, and we can trust him even when we don't understand what he's doing. But in Exodus, in 3.12, in my text verse, he tells Moses, when he tells him to go, and Moses says, who am I that I should go? He says very clearly, he says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Can I remind you today that God is with you? This is not just for Moses. In this part of the story, we can take this as our own too because he is always with us. In fact, the very words of Jesus, the last sentence in the book of Matthew, where Jesus had come, risen from the dead, he showed himself to the disciples, he was about to go back to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. The very last sentence of Matthew, in Matthew 28, 20, he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in Deuteronomy it says, and it's repeated in Hebrews, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He is always with us. And if he is with us and he prompts our heart to do something, we can know that we're gonna be successful. We can know with all of our heart that we are going to be successful. And you know, this is Christianity 101. But some of us need to hear this today. Some of you need to hear this after a year like 2021. Some of you need to hear, you know what, he's with you guys. He's with you. And if he's with you, you're gonna succeed. Now, success looks different scripturally, biblically, in our faith than it does the way the world shows it sometimes. But you will be successful if he is with you. You know, he's high above us. His ways are high above ours. He's, he's, he's very high above us. He's separate from us, but he's not distant because he's with us in our life. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, the Bible says. And if we're going to succeed in life, it's because he is with us. You know, Moses was destined to be successful in that endeavor to, relieve, to get the, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, right? He was going to be successful, but it wasn't gonna be because he had lived in the palace and he knew the layout of the palace. It wasn't gonna be because he spoke Egyptian. It wasn't gonna be because he was once a prince and he understood the culture and he knew how to talk to Pharaoh. That wasn't why he was gonna be successful. That's not why God chose him. He was gonna be successful very easily and clearly and simply because God said, I will be with you. That's why he was gonna be successful. I don't wanna do anything or go anywhere or say anything or be anywhere or anybody if Jesus is not with me. But he is, he goes with us wherever we go. But you know, the opposite is true too. No matter how high you climb, no matter how much you acquire in this life, you will never be successful apart from God. It's not possible to be successful without him. But if he is in you, you have everything you need. Everything you need. And listen, I wanna close with this. So in, at the end of my text verse, in verse 14, when, when Moses asked him, he said, if when I go and I tell them, hey, God sent me. The God of your fathers sent me, and we're gonna get, I'm gonna get you out of here. And they're gonna look at me and they're gonna say, well, then what's his name? Basically questioning him, like, do you really know this God? Do you really send you? He said, what do I say if they say, what's your name? Verse 14, it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, what does that even mean? In English, that sounds really weird, doesn't it? It almost sounds nonsensical. That he would say, just tell them I am who I am. Oh, well, that makes sense. 
It makes no sense to us, right? As a cursory reading of this, there's probably a little something lost in translation, frankly. But to have him say, I am who I am, what does that even mean? Well, if you look at it and you study it, what you'll see is what it really means is that if you put God up here and you put an equal sign here, on the other side of the equal sign is nothing, ever. Nothing could even think about being on the other side of that equal sign. That he is above all, he is the great I am, he always is, he always was, he always will be. There's nothing beside him, nothing beside him. And he says, Moses, that's all you gotta tell him. That's all you gotta tell him. I wasn't created, I wasn't born, I've always been. And that is so powerful for us, church. It's so powerful to know that he, that God that has no equal is on our side. And when he says, you just say, I am sent you, I believe he's saying that I am whatever you need me to be in that moment. He says, if you're in darkness, I am the light of the world. If you are in bondage, I am your freedom. If you are malnourished in your, in your spirit, I am the bread of life. He is what we need him to be. If, if you are caught in the lies, he is the truth. I am the truth that sets you free. And if you are lonely, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's who our God is. And if he is with you, there is nothing that you cannot do. And I wanna encourage you in that going into 22, guys, that he is with us, that his presence is for us, that he does wanna reveal our hearts to ourselves, but it's not to shame us, it's to take us to deeper places with him. It's to get, make us have a deeper dependence on him, a deeper reliance on him, where we understand that there's nothing I can do without you, God. Nothing I can do. I don't wanna do anything without you, God. Where would I go? I love when Jesus gave that hard word in John 6, I think it is, to all the disciples. He's telling them, you know, you gotta eat me, eat my body as flesh, you gotta drink my blood if you wanna be part of me. He's, he's talking about being fully committed to him. And a bunch of the disciples left him in that moment. And, so, and the 12 were standing there. And he looked at him and said, you guys wanna go too? And Peter looked at him and said, where would we go? Where would we go? Like that that would be our heart. God, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the great I am. You are everything. And he is with us, church. That doesn't mean everything's always gonna be rosy. Like I said, the children of Israel went through some suffering, but God was with them. You know, many people's favorite Bible verse in the whole Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you could recite it right now without me saying a word about it. He says, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future, right? Beautiful verse. I have it in my office framed out. Joy bought one for me and it's beautiful. I love it. But you know what I love most about it? Is that I understand the context of that verse. Because they were actually in Babylon at the time. They had been taken out of, Egypt, out of Israel into Babylon. They were captive to the king of Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. And God spoke to them, not at the 69th year or the 70th year or even the 60th year for that matter. He spoke to them towards the beginning of it and said, I have good plans for you guys. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And he goes on to tell them like, while you're in Babylon, go ahead and get married. Go ahead and have children. Go ahead and plant gardens and eat the fruit of the garden. Do what you're gonna do. I'm gonna make you prosper even in the midst of being in captivity. So when you think about that verse and God, you got good plans and we just kind of expect him to pull us up out of everything and we're just gonna ah, hover there and everything's gonna be beautiful and we're impervious to anything bad that could happen. 
That's not what he's saying. He said, I can prosper you in the midst of COVID-19. I can prosper you in the midst of trial, of turmoil, of issues that can happen in your life. That's our God. But you know what real prosperity looks like? Not that I got six zeros in my checking account, necessarily. That's pretty cool too. But real prosperity looks like knowing God, being in the presence of God in our life, walking towards the bush and standing in his presence and knowing him and letting him show you your heart and still even when you know your heart, knowing that he loves you and that nothing could ever change that. Nothing could ever change that and that he goes with us everywhere we go. Church, he is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of it all, everything we have. Would you stand with me, please? We're gonna just take a few minutes here and, and just go back into worship for just a minute. I wanna, the altar is open. I want, you to, I want you to respond, okay? You don't have to come to the altar, but I really wanna encourage you to do that. We've got plenty of room up here if you wanna spread out, but listen, we have to respond in some way today to our God, whether it's at your seat or here. And if it's lifting your hands, if it's getting on your knees, if it's just closing your eyes and telling God, yes. God, I'm saying yes to you this year. I'm going to give you everything I have. And I'm gonna trust you. And I'm gonna to move towards you and not away from you. Whatever you do, if you wanna do it at your seat, but I wanna encourage you to come up here. You can come up here as we worship. We're just gonna sing a song or two up here and we're gonna just spend some time just basking in the presence and in the glory of who Jesus is, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. We thank you, Father, that your word is true. Your word is the truest thing that there's ever been in this world. If it is not true, then I don't want anything to do with this world or anything for that matter. But Lord, I know it's true. I know that you're giving us your presence, that you are always drawing us into your presence. And Lord, I know that you're always with us. And that even as you reveal yourself to us, we re our hearts are revealed. Lord, that it is not to shame us. It is to show us your great mercy and your great love, your passion for us. It was your love for us that brought you to this earth to die a sinner's death on a cross, even though you had no sin. We thank you for it today, Lord. We commit ourselves to you today, Lord. For 22, God, I pray that we would go to another level. We would take our next step in our faith with you, God. That whatever we're holding back, Lord, that we would, we would purpose in our heart to, to walk away from those things and walk towards you and walk towards your presence. Whether it's reading our Bible consistently, whether it's praying more consistently, whether it's sharing our faith with people more consistently, whatever it is, God, help us. Help us, Jesus. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Change us, ruin us for the ordinary, because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen.